All right, if we could get your attention. Have an urgent prayer request. And if uh, some of you could feel like you could pray for this throughout the week, hopefully most of you could write this down and uh, pray for this actually the next couple of days. Don Wickham. Don Wickham is one of our ushers. He's a tall fellow. You see him in the first service ushering. He's got white hair, super friendly guy, really nice guy. He had a uh, couple of seizures tonight. He's in Baylor Richardson, the seizures. They don't know what caused them, but uh, they were severe enough that he dislocated both shoulders, and uh, uh, he'll have to have a procedure on the one. It didn't pop back in. The right one popped in. The left one, I think, uh, did some damage, and so they're going to have to operate on him. His name is Don Wickham. If you could just pray for him. His wife's name is Judy. Uh, black BMW TYX80Y, your parking lights are on. And as Chuck say, they won't be for long. So, Black BMW TYX80Y. Yeah. And then we're going to uh, wrap up tonight uh, a little earlier than normal, and we will head down to the lobby and have some ice cream, Bluebell, with the ladies. Women's Ministry are actually uh, sponsoring that, paying for that, so uh, you can thank them if you see them down there. And uh, I think it would be very appropriate for us to uh, thank Steve for his uh, studies so far. We're taking a short break. We're going to come back August, uh, the first Wednesday in August, but uh, would you join me in thanking Steve for what he's done for us since the fall? Hey, guys, thank you very much. I mean, if you really mean that, let's have the ushers come forward. I mean, I want to see what you're really made of. Doggone it. No, thanks. This has been, this has been fun. It really has. It's been... Uh, I look forward to this every, every Wednesday night. I really do. It's the highlight of my week. And uh, that means I need to get a better life, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> doggone it. <laughs> I, I'm in one of those moods tonight where I'm, I'm kind of concerned about what I'll say. You ever get like that? You just kind of get a little on the edge and you think, uh-oh. And my wife's not here, so I'm really dangerous. So maybe we ought to pray, huh? Let's do that. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are there, that you are our creator, that you made us that you are in absolute uh, control uh, of this world and all that is happening in it. There is nothing that happens outside of uh, your sovereignty. It's hard to believe that we're already into May because Christmas was just here. And our lives are moving so rapidly and it seems like uh, the week has three days instead of seven. And some of us today, Lord, have had uh, pretty frantic uh, uh, schedules and appointments and hurrying around and just, just stuff on our plate, stuff that didn't get done, stuff that has to be addressed again tomorrow and we'll start early all over again. We're glad that tonight we can, we can uh, look at Joshua one more time 
And we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. We thank you uh, that it contains your, your truth, your promises, uh, that we live off this Bible. So again tonight, we ask that you'll instruct us, that you'll teach us, uh, that you'll speak to our hearts, remind us of what's true, give us exactly what we need tonight. Every guy here needs something a little bit different. Your spirit knows what that would be in each of our lives, and we ask you to supply that. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like us tonight to use our imaginations, and if you saw the movie Back to the Future, they had a time machine, very unique time machine. It was a um, DeLorean. You don't see many of those around anymore. You, uh, you didn't see many of them around when they were being sold, come to think of it. But um, that was a very unique time machine. If you could get in your time machine and go back and meet Joshua and interact with him, <clears throat> there, would be some, uh, there would be some disconnects just because we live in two different times. Uh, things that we're familiar with, he wouldn't be familiar with at all. Um, imagine, if you would, getting your DeLorean and going back and meeting Joshua and uh, showing him a credit card application. Uh, I, I read today in a magazine, the US News World Report, that the average American gets 60 credit card offers a year now. That's a lot of credit cards. Um, imagine trying to explain to Joshua what this credit card application was all about. Uh, he would have some questions about that. The first question would be, what's a credit card? Uh, and then you would explain it to him, and he would say, well, that's crazy, and say, yes, that's what our society's built on, or something like that, you see. But, but, but see, it would be a challenge to explain to him that credit card application and what it means, and what it, because it's something that would be completely foreign to him. Now, as we end Joshua tonight, there is a form. Joshua 24 is a document uh, that is, quite frankly, foreign to us, but very, very familiar uh, to Joshua and to the people of his culture. Uh, what I'm re referring to is something that's called a suzerain vassal treaty. Now you're thinking, what is this about? I mean, you've, I mean, what, what is this thing? A suzerain vassal treaty, S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N. Uh, and then hyphen, vassal, V-A-S-S-A-L. A suzerain vassal treaty is what you've got in Joshua 24. Uh, totally unfamiliar to us, but very, very familiar to the people of Joshua's day. Because you see, in Joshua 24, he is adhering to a particular type of literary form and legal document that was very common between a king and his subjects. Suzerain meaning king. 
vassal, meaning subjects. Uh, it, it was a legal exercise, it was a legal document that a king, when a king would go and take another area or take another country, they would implement a suzerain vassal treaty. That's what you've got in Joshua 24. Uh, now, this isn't part of our culture, but it was certainly part of their culture. And it's going to follow the outline that suzerain vassal treaties uh, uh, followed in that day. So we're going to break this down according to that, uh, to that particular document. Um, you, know, you know, it's interesting. Um, Joshua was uh, a man of his times, and we are, we are people of our times, men of our times. Uh, truth never changes. The truth is the same. Now, sometimes the means that we deliver the truth can change, and, and our approach and our styles, uh, th there's nothing wrong with new ways of implementing truth. You just don't tinker with truth. So what you've got in Joshua 24, you've got the truth, but in a way that people could easily digest. Now, it's going to be a little harder for us to digest because this isn't common to our experience. But let me give you a couple different shots. Let, let me give you a breakdown of these suzerain vassal treaties. They always started with a preamble, and that's what we find in verse 1. A, a preamble, our Constitution has a preamble, doesn't it? Or is that the Declaration of Independence? Constitution, okay. A, a preamble is an introduction to a formal document which explains its purpose. And in Joshua 24, in verse 1, we've got the preamble to the treaty. Now, what you're going to find out very, uh, very quickly here is that in the suzerain vassal treaty, suzerain meaning king, God is the king. Israel would be the vassals. Israel would be the subjects. So you're talking about a legal covenant, a legal arrangement, as, as he's wrapping up his life. Um, Joshua 24 says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads, and their judges and their officers. They presented themselves before God. And Joshua said, to all the people. Uh, so you see in verse 1, you see the introduction, which gives the purpose. He's getting everybody together for a specific reason. And then verse 2, he jumps right into it. The, uh, the fact of the matter is, they, uh, they are uh, going through a treaty here, the suzerain vassal treaty. And God is the author of the treaty. And what you've got here is that Joshua calls all the nation together to present themselves before the king, before God. Now, the second part of the suzerain vassal treaty is what is called the historical prologue. And you've got this in verse 2 all the way down to verse 13. Uh, it's, a it's a detailed history of the benevolent acts of the king on behalf of the people. When they would have these suzerain vassal treaties, uh, this was always a part of it. The king, the king would lay out historically 
what it was that he had done for the people. Uh, history is important. And, and that's precisely what you've got here. You've got a pretty good synopsis of the history of Israel, beginning with verse 2, going all the way down to verse 13. Um, what you're going to find here is that 17 times you're going to find that you're going to see the pronoun I, referring to God. And what God is going to do here is that he is going to show and reiterate to Israel as their king, as their creator, what he has done for them. 17 times. Now let's work our way through this and see what we come up here. And every time you see the word I, watch it carefully. And Joshua said to all the people in verse 2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So he goes back not to Abraham, he goes back to Abraham's father. Abraham being the father of the Jews, Abraham being the one who God made the covenant with in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, God promised him the land, he promised him a seed and a blessing. The seed became the nation of Israel. God said, they, those who bless you, them will I bless, and the land is the promised land which they have taken. Um, and once again, we talk about this every time we go through Joshua. Once again, Sharon had to leave early. Why? Because a suicide bomber. Why? Because they're, they're dealing with this issue of the land. Well, the land belongs to Israel. Okay, verse 3. God says, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. See, historically, the reason why there was even a nation of Israel and the reason why God was blessing them and the reason why God had given them this great, great land was because, it was because God took Abraham. He says, I took your father Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham was a pagan. Abraham didn't know God. God initiated with Abraham and all that they were enjoying as people who were part of the nation of Israel was a result of the initiation that God had taken with Abraham. God always initiates, guys. God's always the one who seeks us. We don't seek him, he comes after us. Uh, so I took, verse 4, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. Um, God's the one who gives us our children. God's the one who gives us our grandchildren. God is the one who blesses us. Psalm 127 says that children are an inheritance from the Lord. Uh, to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. You remember that story. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. Why did he send Moses and Aaron? Well, because when Jacob and his sons went to Egypt, they went there because of the famine. But Joseph was already there because his brothers had sold him into slavery. Um, I mean, isn't it amazing? You look back and you see the providence of God. I think I shared with you one time that quote from 
from Thomas Watson, who said that uh, some providences of God, like Hebrew letters, are best read backwards. You know, when you, when you take Hebrew, the, the weirdest thing about taking Hebrew in seminary is, you don't, when, when you take a Hebrew Bible, I mean, our Bible, you start here, right? Hebrew, you start back here, and you read backwards. You see, Hebrew, you read right to left instead of left to right. Some providences of God, like Hebrew's letters, are best understood backwards. Isn't it true in your life, even as you're here tonight, that some things that didn't make sense 10 years ago, didn't, I mean, absolutely, you were clueless about. But now 10 years down the road, you look backwards, and you go, hmm, hmm. They didn't make much sense then. They make a heck of a lot of sense now. Or maybe you're in a situation right now that doesn't make some sense. Well, just get further down the road. Just get further down the trail, and then you will see how God converges things, things that don't add up right now. Um, these guys are getting a history lesson. And, and in this history lesson, uh, what they're seeing is the goodness of God and the provision of God and the care of God. Uh, when Joseph goes uh, to Egypt, brothers sold him into slavery. Um, uh, the, the, it's an amazing story how God raised him up after a prolonged period of preparation, at the age of 30, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, therefore the second most powerful man in, in the world at that time. And there's famine. He goes and gets his, uh, his brothers show up for food. They get their death. They all move up there, and they, get, they move into an area called Goshen. And then over the next few hundred years, they proliferated, and they got extremely uh, uh, populous. And uh, as a result, they, they started to to outnumber the Egyptians. And they were put into slavery and had a pretty tough life there because the Bible says that a pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. So uh, God heard the cries of the Hebrews and he sent Moses. See, uh, It's always good to look back. See, because when you look back, you see the power of God, you see the plan of God, uh, you see the initiation of God. We can't get hung up too much on this stuff. We've got to keep moving here. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and here's another one, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. See, all along the way here, God is in charge, and God is initiating, and God is doing his work. Verse 6. And I, there it is again, I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, see what you've got going here in, this, in verses 2 through 13? You've got a cliff note going on here of, uh, of, of biblical history, you know? And you realize, don't you, how much of your Bible is history? Just for a second... Turn over to Matthew 1. Okay. All right. And then put your finger there and then go back to Genesis 1. You see what I'm doing here? You see that Old Testament? 
See, look at my Bible here. Look what I'm doing. Guys, that Old Testament is history. Then there's the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul sa says, these things, what things? These things were written for our instruction. See, we learn from biblical history, and we learn from what God did in the Old Testament. New Testament believers were learning, and, and we are to learn. These things are written for us. Um, let's go back to Joshua 24 here. The, the, uh, the, the problem here is because it, it, it is a summary. You, you want to fill in the gaps, but if we do that, we'll be here until 10 o'clock. And we're not going to do that. We just don't have the time. Uh, verse 7, but when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. About how long? About 40 years they lived in the wilderness. Okay? Then I brought you into the land, there it is again, of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But here it is again, I was not willing to listen to Balaam. Uh, that story is in the book of Numbers, and the king of Moab goes and gets this Balaam guy who was some kind of heavyweight New Age guy. I mean, if he was around today, he'd be on Oprah. You know, uh, very popular guy, and the king of Moab says, "Hey, I want you to bless. I, I want you to curse those Jews, because this guy had some. This guy had some juice somehow. You know, he was some heavy hitter spiritually, and had a you know a tape series out and did seminars. <laughs> and and Balaam went to curse them, and God wouldn't let him do it. And as he went to curse them, he wound up blessing, them. and it drove the king of Moab nuts." But by the power of God, God would not allow him to curse his people, he said. I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you. And I, there it is again, delivered you from his hand. And you crossed the Jordan. Now, this is where the book of Joshua picks up. And you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, uh, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I, there it is again, gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. And I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. That's the history. Um, Seventeen times God is emphasizing his commitment to his people. You, you know what a great exercise is? Is, uh, is to take some time and think about your life and to go back over your life and just write, write up just kind of a brief summary. Write up a brief synopsis of what God has done in your life. What, what, what is it that God has done for you? Going back 
going back to, to, to the day uh, that you were born, going back to the family that, that he put you into, uh, some of those were positive situations. Other those, other those, of those were negative. But even in negative situations, we learn and we see God's provision. You see, you look at your life up until this point. I look in my life up until this point. How did I get to this point? By, by the goodness of God and by the activity of God and by the power of God, he got me here to this point. And anything that I have, anything that I enjoy, uh, any blessing in my life, it was God who gave it to me. I mean, that's just the story of everybody in this room. We've got our own history just as is outlined in verses 2 uh, through 13. It, it, and you know, history, history is his story. That's how you remember history. History is the story of what God has done, you see. And history is moving to an apex. History is moving uh, to a focal point. And God is controlling all this. God is the one who is, beyond, who is behind history. And we have personal histories with God. Uh, it's a great thing to stop, and, because a lot of times we get caught in our immediate circumstances. I mean, this happens to you, it happens to me. We look around, things are not what we'd like them to be, we're fighting it, we're disappointed, we're, we're, we're strung out, we're, we're worn out, we're exhausted, we're disappointed. And, and, and so we're fighting a little depression and we're fighting being down. You guys, have, you guys have experienced that. How do you bring yourself out of that? How do you, how do you what's the antidote to that? What's the antibiotic to that? I think it's history. I think... I think you start looking back and reminding yourselves of the faithfulness of God and what he has done for you in the past. And you know what that does? That always changes your perspective in the present. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're fighting and if you're having a difficult time and things are disappointing, you've been here before, haven't you? You've been here before, but you have seen God come through for you in different ways at different times and what that does is it reminds you that, yeah, you're here again, but he'll bring you out again. That's what God does. That's the story of the Bible. Uh, this is all about, this history lesson is about God's care. It's about God's concern. Uh, it, it's about God's love. Um, he cared for these people. He cared for this nation. The story is told of a little boy that uh, went to the grocery store to get uh, some eggs for his mom. I used to do this when I was a little kid. We lived about eight houses down from a little corner grocery store, not a supermarket, grocery store. And uh, down the back alley, I'd be, I was five years old. And what my mom would do, she'd stand out there and, and she'd call the grocer. And she'd tell him she was sending, him, uh, he was, she was sending me down and she, she would tell him what, what it was I needed. And it uh, wasn't much stuff because I was only five or six. But she'd send me down, and then she'd have my little brother there, you know, in the stroller, and she'd be watching him. And she'd watch me, and I'd walk in the back door of that little grocery store. And the grocer would be waiting for me, and he'd have the stuff. And then he'd walk me to the back door, and he'd look down, and there'd be my mom. And I'd walk down the alley with the stuff. It was amazing what could happen between the store and getting back home. But that's a whole other issue. 
Um, story is told of a little guy that went to the grocery store to get a carton of eggs for his mom. And uh, gets the carton of eggs, walks out the door, trips, falls on the eggs, smashes them. Little guy gets up, he's crying, some people see him, they try to pick him up, help him clean him up, and the little guy is in tears. And one of the men checks on him and says, you okay, son? He says, I'm okay, and he wipes away his tears, and he takes out a quarter and gives, gives it to him. And then the man looks at the other adults, and he said, he said, I care 25 cents worth. How much do you care? Well, they all cared enough to get the money that he needed to go back in and buy his eggs. And he went on his way. Uh, see, that's the history of the Bible is how much God cares. Uh, Cast all your anxiety upon him, Peter says, because he what? He cares. And is it not true that we find ourselves at times wondering if he cares? When you find yourself wondering, go back and look at your personal history. How did you get to where you are now? He's been faithful, and he'll be faithful again. Um, so we've seen the history, the historical prologue. Your wife's going to be impressed when you go home tonight and tell her about a suzerain vassal treaty. What's the third part? The third part of the treaty are the general stipulations. The general stipulations, the general uh, requirements. And in this part of the treaty between the king and his subjects, there is a call for wholehearted allegiance to the king. When, when you read the suzerain vassal treaties of the Hittites, or these different ites that were around at this time, this, I mean, they ran this, they ran this right down the road. Absolute wholehearted allegiance to the king. That was part of it. Notice, if you would, verses 14 and 15. This is what comes next. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the general stipulations call for the wholehearted allegiance and commitment to the king. See, the fact of the matter is, you can only serve one king. You can't, see, you can't serve two kings, uh, and you can't serve two gods. Uh, what, what this is calling for is complete and total commitment from the heart. Not partial commitment. A lot of people in Texas, Christianity Today uh, magazine, I got it yesterday. And on the cover is a picture of Dallas. And basically it says Dallas is the new capital of evangelicalism in America. And it is, and it talks about all the ministries, and it talks about all the stuff that's happening here. And it used to be Wheaton was or Colorado Springs, but now Dallas has just flown right by those. The stuff that's happening in this town is amazing. You know what, there are more Bible studies per square inch in this town than anywhere else in the country. I really believe that's true, don't you? I, I mean, it, this is an amazing place, especially if you get out 
other places around the country. I mean, an average size church in Dallas is a mega church in a lot of different areas of the United States. Um, there is still a Christian fabric here. There, there is still a, 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 a cultural influence of Christianity that you can't get away from. Now, a lot of people are getting away from it, but I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, but just because someone is, is in that arena, and it was interesting, the article in Christianity Today was talking about the fact how big churches are here. There are a lot of big churches. And, uh, you know, about 20 years ago, uh, a liberal guy, I think his name was Dean Kelly, wrote a book called Why Conservative Churches Are Growing. And basically, he talked about why mainline denominations are falling apart. Well, there's no reason to go. They don't believe anything. They don't teach anything. I mean, it's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. He said, but the conservatives, they actually believe the Bible. And they have a message, and people are going. That's why they're growing. The interesting thing in Dallas, it's just not conservative churches growing. you got liberal churches growing. Why? Because it's just part of the culture. It's part of the fabric. Uh, but would you note in verse 14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. He's talking about total commitment, not partial commitment. You heard about the uh, Japanese uh, kamikaze pilot, didn't you? Who flew 50 missions? <laughs> That's partial commitment. What he's calling for here is total commitment to the work of the king that he's number one in your life. Um, Uh, look at 14 again. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and what? Truth. Truth. Because as you know, a lot of people are sincere. But it's got to be sincerity and truth. You see, what he's talking about here is something that comes from the heart. It comes from the deepest part of us. Um. And, and then he rams it home in the next verse where he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The, the idea here in, in the Hebrew, it has a little fuller meaning because it expresses continuous action. It involves the future, but it can also point to the past. In, in other words, what Joshua is saying is, I have chosen and I will choose. This is a course uh, where there's no reverse. Uh, I have chosen. I will continue to choose. This is something from my heart of hearts. Uh, it is in the deepest part of my being. I have decided, I have chosen that I'm going to follow God. That's what he's looking for. And that's what he's laying out to the people of Israel. Now, why is he laying? And, and, then, and then he says to them, he brings up this whole issue of these other gods. Put away the gods which your fathers have served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if, it's a, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. 
See, see what's, what's the issue here? Um, well, he, he, he knows these people. He's lived with these people. This guy's 110 years old. He's lived with these people, and he knows these people, and he knows their behavior, and he's watched their actions which stem from their heart. Then notice, if you would, notice verses 16 to 18, because the next part of a suzerain vassal treaty is the vassals or the subjects' oath of allegiance. This is where they sign on. This is where they say, yeah, I'm on board 100%. And note their response, verses 16 and 18. And the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through who, uh, whose midst we passed. And the Lord God drove out before us all the people, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We will also serve the Lord, for he, for he is our God. And you know what's interesting? They sign on. But look at Joshua's response in verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, what's that all about? Is he saying God doesn't forget? Well, no, of course God forgives. What he's talking about here, what, what Joshua knows these people. You know what? He's suspicious of them. Now, here's the interesting thing. They can all recite the catechism. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you guys raised in churches where you were, went through confirmation? Anybody do that? You, you go through a, a class and you learn whatever your denomination is, you learn certain doctrinal points, is it, which is not a bad idea, which is a good thing. But is it not possible to go to the catechism, uh, to learn the Westminster Confession, to learn the Augsburg Confession, uh, to, to learn the different confessions of the church, is it not possible to have it in your head without having it in your heart? Absolutely. And I'll tell you something. They knew the catechism. I mean, look at their response. I mean, they got it down cold. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord. Well, that's not what Joshua thought. You see? And history bore him out. Because after he dies, it didn't take them long at all to absolutely fall apart. That's when you get into the book of Judges. I mean, they totally lost it. Um, see, what, what, what Joshua is doing here, they, they signed on very quickly, and they, were, uh, uh, they had all the right things to say. But he deeply questioned their motivation, and, uh, because he knew them. Um, see, the fact of the matter is, and, and he makes this very clear, the Lord is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Uh, he will not forgive your transgression or your sins. Now, see, he will if there's genuine uh, sorrow, if there's, it's from the heart. God always forgives that. But if it's just a mind game, if you're just saying words, that doesn't cut it with the Lord. Then look at the next verse, 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. You see, and this is the next section. Because the next section of a suzerain vassal treaty are the blessings and the curses. 
common part of a legal document. You see, what you know what we've really got here? Th th this is how I view this. This is a, um, he's closing escrow here. That's what he's doing. When, when, you, when you finally go in and you're going to close, stack is about this high, and you don't have a clue what you're signing, what you're initialing. They'll give you a, a brief, but you see, that's what this is. He is closing escrow with these people. Uh, he doesn't want them to have buyer's remorse. We, we now have it as part of our system that uh, when you sign a certain kind of contract, what do you got? Sometimes three days to say I want out? That's what he's saying to these guys. You better think straight about what you're saying because God is a holy God. You just don't flippantly say it with your mouth. It's got to be from your heart. It's got to be from your gut. You know what he was concerned about here? He was concerned that they just be Baptist. You know what I'm saying? He was concerned that they just be Methodist, or they just be Lutherans, or they just be that they just be Jews. You see, he was concerned. I, to put it another way, I think he was concerned that they be circumcised outwardly and not be circumcised inwardly. You guys following me? You see, it's possible to have the label, but to not have it branded on your heart. That's what he is warning them about. And so then he goes into the blessings and curses. He's warning them. You guys, you guys better get this straight, because this is serious. So the blessings and curses start in 19 and 20. Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord your God. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. And what did the people say? No, but we will serve the Lord. All right. Then you get into the next section of a suzerain vassal treaty. This is more than you wanted to know about a suzerain vassal treaty, isn't it? But you know what's interesting? Again, you can read these documents of the surrounding nations. And the thing which comes next is just like we do today. When you sign a document that's important like this, you've got to have somebody witness it, right? That's what's next, the witnesses. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Huh. See, there is no Fifth Amendment on this deal. There was no saying, I refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me. They were witnesses to themselves that they were indeed choosing the Lord, and they said, yes, we are witnesses. So note the appeal, note the appeal that he immediately makes to them in verse 23. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your heart to the Lord God, the God of Israel. Now, see, he's nailing them now. He's nailing them. Because, see, he knows they've got foreign gods. Because they're walking through the motions, and he's saying, okay, if this is for real, you want to make this choice, you're witnesses of yourself, all right, take those foreign gods and get rid of them. I mean, he's absolutely confronting them. I was, I was reading this week about, um, gosh, who was it? Um, give me a second. 
He died in, uh, you can still see where he was burned at the stake in, in Oxford. Um, gosh, I want to say Cranmer, but that's not it. He, was it Ridley? Who's the other guy? Excuse me, I'm talking to myself here. It was Ridley and, um, no, it was, uh, uh, I want to say Cranmer, but it was, oh uh, gosh. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to bring this up, guys. But what, I, I just thought of it, it just came to my mind. It, I think it was Cranmer, C-R-A-N-M-E-R, -E Hugh Cranmer, who was a bishop in England. And, and what he did was, you know Henry VIII, Henry VIII had this propensity for marrying a lot of women because he wanted the male heir and he didn't get it. So he kept divorcing and marrying you. You didn't do that. So what this guy did was he got a Bible and gave it to him and underlined a specific passage and marked it on adultery and what God does to adulterers. Now that took some guts. He just laid it right out there because he knew this guy was an adult. Gave him a Bible. Here are the verses underlined that talk about what you're doing. You see, and you're supposed to be head of the church. And it wasn't long after that that he was burned at the stake. You see. Um, that's what Joshua's doing here. Joshua is going for the juggler. All right, you've signed up on this treaty. You're saying that your heart is before the Lord. Then what do you do? Put away the foreign gods. Because this is absolutely serious stuff. Here's the last part of the treaty. Every treaty had a sign, a sign. Note verse 25 through 27. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you, lest you deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. And they went off to live their lives, and the question was, who were they going to serve? And see, that's the question that's before us every day of our lives. I like the way this book ends. The suzerain vassal treaty is over now. But in those last verses, um, it's very interesting to me because in the last four verses of Joshua, you have three burials. Three. Notice the first one. And it came about, verse 29, after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him. Then note verse 32. Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem. Then notice verse 33. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died and they buried him at Gibeah of Phineas, his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Um, Joshua dies, they bury him. The bones of Joseph, who had died almost uh, 400 years before, they buried his bones. Eleazar, 
they buried him. We all get buried. We all get buried. And we all, um, we all stand before the Lord. We live in a culture that absolutely does not want to discuss or entertain the idea of death. But it's something you absolutely can't get away from. You're going to get buried. I'm going to get buried. Uh, most of us don't think that's in our immediate future. That's not how we think. We tend to be very optimistic with what we've got ahead of us. But we never know for sure. Um, it, it's, I don't want to be morbid here, but I think it's the wise man who thinks about the fact that he's going to die. I'll be honest with you guys. I never, ever thought about dying, ever, until I hit 40. <laughs> and I didn't go through midlife crisis or any of that stuff. I didn't have that happen to me. But the thing I noticed about hitting 40 was for some reason I became aware of the fact that um, I was going to die. Didn't cross my mind before then. I mean, I mean, I knew about it. I was aware of it, but I didn't have a sense of it. Um, but I got a sense of it now. You see, I said something last week that I wish I hadn't said. I think it was last week. Maybe it was a week before. Usually every week I say something I wish I hadn't said. <laughs> but I said something last week, and afterwards I said I didn't like it because I I was referring to guys. It was probably a couple weeks ago. Uh, Remember, if you were here, I said something about, like, you notice how these newscasters are getting younger? They're all like 27 and 28 years old, and they got snot going down. That, that, well, they don't have snot going down. There. <laughs> and, you know, later I thought about that. I thought, why did I say that? Because, you know, I remember one time a guy saying to me, I was in my first church, and I was pastoring, and this guy, this guy was my age now, and this guy said to me, because he didn't agree with something. You know what he said to me? He said, you know, I'm old enough to be your father. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Not much. Uh, I already have a father, and he did a good job, quite frankly. But, uh, you know, that's just pulling rank on age. For, for you guys in your 20s, I apologize, because you know what? Uh, that, that, that was the wrong thing to say. Um, I, I, what's happening, I'm getting old, and I'm starting to turn into that guy who I didn't like. <laughs> that really concerned me. But when I was 27, I'll tell you this, I didn't walk around thinking about the fact I could die. I, it just never crossed my mind. But you know what? I think about it a lot. I think that's a good thing. Let me ask you something. If you were to die this week, is there anything in your life that you would be embarrassed for your family to find out about? Is there anything in your life that you've hidden away? Is there any area in your life where you've got foreign gods? Out of sight. Camouflage. 
and they don't know they're there. You don't want to die that way. That's not how you want to go out. That's not how you want to be buried. You don't want to leave that kind of legacy. And you see, when we follow the Lord fully, when we surrender fully, give Him our whole lives, I guess here's what I'm saying. You, you got stuff that needs to be cleaned up, then you know what? Go clean it up. Just go take care of it. Just go take care of business and get it done. Just, just go do it. You, you, you got a crease in the wrong place in your shirt. What do you do? You go plug in that iron, you go steam the sucker out. Go do that. Take care of it. Because we'd like to all think that come August, when we kick this thing off again, that we're all going to be here. You know what? And you know this as well as I do. There are no guarantees that you'll be here. There's no guarantee that I'll be here. We're going to get buried, guys. Um, let's be buried with honor. With honor. Honor to the Lord. And you know, you know, this makes sense to you, I know. I have found that when God is honored, quite frankly, just about everybody you care about is honored. When he comes first, when we follow him fully, everything's taken care of. And it's clean, and it's right, and it's good. Well, guys are walking out, so I think we need to <laughs> pray, and we need to bring it to a close. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you. We are grateful to you for this book. We, uh, we are challenged by this book. We are uh, impressed by the fact that you're always looking at our hearts. You've never been one to look on the outside. You've never been one to be impressed by token appearances. You're always looking at what drives us from inside. Lord, we want to be uh, honorable men, and the problem is we've all done things that uh, are dishonorable. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we come to you with uh, contrite hearts and broken spirits. And Whenever we do that and we acknowledge our sin uh, and we turn from our sin, there's forgiveness with you. Lord, if there's an issue that you've raised in our hearts, may we not delay. May we take care of that. May we be about your business. And Lord, thank you for eternal life, which is in Christ. Thank you that when it's our time, when it's our turn to be buried, because of what Jesus has done, uh, our future is a great future. Our best days are ahead of us. We are thankful for that hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, the blue bell is waiting downstairs. <laughs>